Welcome to the Twimmel AI Podcast. I'm your host, Sam Charrington. All right, everyone, I am on the line with Kareem Bagheer. Kareem is the co-founder and CEO of InstaDeep. Kareem, welcome to This Week in Machine Learning and AI. Hi, Sam. Thank you for having me. You are very welcome to be on the show, and I'm looking forward to diving into the conversation. Uh, but before we get into our main topic, which will be focused on AI innovation in the field of logistics, I'd love to learn more about your background. You are in a, uh, can we call it a unique position of having co-founded a deep learning company in Tunisia, North Africa. Um, how did you get to that point? Yeah, actually, I grew up in uh, southern Tunisia in uh, in a city which is very familiar to Star Wars lovers because it's actually Tatooine. So it's the same name that George Lucas used for the first, uh, you know, uh, movie about Star Wars. So grew up in southern Tunisia and uh, my love of applied mathematics took me then to, you know, graduate education in France's Ecole Polytechnique and ultimately to the U.S. at uh, Courant Institute uh, at NYU in the U.S. And, uh, you know, InstaDeep is a is a project that, you know, I co-founded with uh, my uh, with Zora uh, that I met in Tunis with the goal of, you know, basically proving that we can do, you know, advanced uh, AI and deep learning in Africa. And uh, it's been a crazy adventure for us. We started really with like two laptops and no funding. It was a pure bootstrap. And we're very excited to, you know, how much we've come since then. Awesome. And the company to this day has most of its employees in Africa, all in Tunisia, or uh, are there other locations? So, yes, majority of our employees are, are in Africa, something like 70% of the company. And uh, after the original Tunis office, we also have uh, opened up setup shop in uh, Lagos in uh, Nigeria, as well as Nairobi in Kenya, and looking forward to opening an office uh, soon in South Africa. So uh, it's been a, a very, very interesting ride in terms of like discovering the potential of African talent. And we also have two offices in London and Paris as well. Okay. And so what's the company's focus? So the company is focused on basically building uh, advanced decision-making systems for the enterprise. So if you look at, you know, deep learning and uses of AI historically, uh, you know, most companies and most startups focus on uh, pattern detection. So advanced uses of either machine learning or deep learning. But at InstaDeep, we actually believe that, you know, technologies around reinforcement learning and the, and the like are coming now to a state of fruition that make them actually deployable for the enterprise and we anticipate significant savings. So we are focusing on helping large companies realize the promise of AI, which is, of course, uh, easier said than done. So our role is to help them, uh, you know, uh, seize the opportunity in AI, while at the same time, you know, as, as discussed, building up a new generation of talent and making people believe that, you know, actually their dreams can come true, they can be part of this. Nice, nice. You mentioned uh, reinforcement learning. Yeah, that comes up on the show quite a bit, and there uh, are very. It's a. It can be a polarizing topic in the sense that uh, there are folks that I talk to that are very excited about it and the promise that it offers, not just 
in these traditional RL applications like uh, game playing, but for enterprise applications. And then there are other folks that say it's way too complicated. We're nowhere near being able to put it to good use. Uh, it sounds like you're in this latter camp. So, yeah, we believe actually that the technology is sufficiently mature now to get to practical applications. I mean, if you see historically, you know, uh, DeepMind started to become like uh, DeepRL started to become uh, something uh, impressive with originally DeepMind on, and the progress they did with DQN on Atari games and the like. But now with, uh, you know, a progress on multiple fronts, it's actually possible to deploy these technologies in real life. And, uh, you know, we expect this to become more and more uh, mainstream. Uh, so, uh, you know, uh, we, we're actually doing work in multiple sectors, but in particular in logistics, that confirms that these technologies can actually be deployed and can actually generate savings uh, versus uh, more classical technologies. Uh, okay, and so we've referenced a couple of times uh, the, the field of logistics, the connection being a presentation that you delivered at the recent uh, NVIDIA GTC conference on uh, some of the work that you've seen and that you're doing on uh, AI and logistics. Can you um, maybe frame up the problem for us? What are some of the specific challenges that enterprises are seeing in logistics and uh, what are the gaps between, you know, logistics obviously has been a problem for many, many, many hundreds of years, uh, and we've developed technology-based solutions to try to uh, solve these problems. What are, the, what are the gaps that are leading folks to look at uh, deep learning and, and machine learning-based approaches? So, uh, you know, in, on, on, in logistics, you have multiple problems that actually require uh, making decisions in a, a complex environment where you have ver a very large number of choices. So just a specific example, if you look at ride sharing, for example, for a mobility company such as Uber or others, effectively, you have a situation where you have hundreds of cabs in, a, in like a big city and at the same time, maybe, you know, hundreds or thousands of of, uh, riders requesting a ride and with ride sharing uh, allowed basically you can onboard let's like, say three to four people in a given cab this is a complex decision to make uh, which uh, cab should cater to which uh, requests uh, this is not an easy decision and this is typical of what we believe is the opportunity for you know uh, deep reinforcement learning based systems so you effectively have to look for a needle in a haystack and uh, you know one of the ways to do that is actually to train a modern AI system to look for good solutions. So it really comes down to uh, you have a very large search space, sometimes bigger than the number of atoms in the universe, and you need to find a clever way to uh, go through this search space. So I'll tell you historically what enterprises have been doing uh, to solve this problem is, you know, if you look at oper operations research, OR, uh, typically all the algorithms that are used in OR are clever ways to make that search space 
simpler and they are more more amenable to you know algorithms so uh, that is you know that works pretty well in practice but is far from being optimal and typically we're talking about problems that uh, you know have a very large surface and can be np hard so it means that there is not an easy solution uh, to 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 solve them so uh, by making the search space smaller uh, you know or algorithms effectively are introducing biases so you know they're built on heuristics and those heuristics mean that a system that could learn from scratch could go uh, beyond uh, the what the what the what is the state of the art at the moment so it's very similar to what happened in the game of chess uh, before alpha zero came so alpha zero the groundbreaking algorithm that DeepMind developed in late 2017 uh, basically before alpha zero the best chess player uh, was a system that uh, had to uh, you know to use lots of rules whether coming from the programming side of things or coming from the chess side of things but like there were hundreds of rules that were pretty much embedded into the program to make it do, uh, you know, to make it competitive. Yet AlphaZero came and replaced all of that with just two simple concepts, uh, searching and learning. And it was able to outperform, you know, Stockfish, this uh, this particular chess program in, you know, as little as four hours if you use distributed machine learning. So I was watching that. I was actually at NeurIPS for the first time when David Silver presented these groundbreaking results. And I was like, wow, this is actually very exciting. And it has applications that are beyond games. Like think about, you know, as I said, the ride sharing example I gave you, or for example, you know, how you fit objects or packages in containers. All of those have this property that, you know, you need to look for the right solution in a very large amount of, you know, know, a very large space. And so all of those are potentially amenable to this kind of solutions. And, you know, since then, we've been working very hard at InstaDeep to make this promise a reality for our customers. When you're approaching a problem like the ride sharing problem, how do you transform you know this this problem that you know kind of makes sense when you explain it into something that uh, you can apply directly deep learning or RL to? So effectively, you need to uh, build up a model of the environment. Uh, first, which comes from you know the real world. So, uh, for example, what we use at uh, InstaDeep is uh, OpenStreetMap. So we take actually the exact you know uh, you know information on on traffic on the topology of the city from OpenStreetMap, and we transform the problem of uh, basically uh, you know uh, going from point A to point B and selecting different uh, you know passengers into uh, a, a set of possible actions and uh, basically you know build it into an RL framework that's exactly the same method that we would use for example on a problem like bin packing uh, you have a certain volume uh, you have certain concerns that you need to respect and your goal is to find optimal configurations such that uh, you know the total volume that you're using is the smallest possible while respecting all the other constraints so uh, basically there is a significant work which is done on the environment but the general principle remains the same uh, at the end of the day uh, you have uh, let's say a reward function that 
comes out of this. Usually on NP-hard problems in logistics, uh, you know, it's very easy to verify if a given solution is, is, is a good one or not. What is not so easy is to find what is a good solution. So uh, the problem of like scoring the result is usually uh, not extremely difficult. Uh, you just need to build up the environment to make uh, you know this possible and then find ways to train this at scale. Uh, so sticking with this ride-sharing example, uh, is the assumption that for a given ride, you kind of start with a starting place and a destination may be determined by an initial rider and you're trying to figure out what other riders to pick up? Yes, basically you have to make decisions about uh, which riders uh, to to take into the car, and you know the car can could have two states. Like it could either have uh, you know already people uh, in the car and given destination where to go, uh, or it could be completely empty. So you have to make a decision about who uh, do you want to onboard, and obviously if you onboard a given person, a given client, then you have to take that person to destination. So uh, and you do this you know uh, progressively uh, you know given the capacity that you have left in a situation like ride sharing uh, typical metric of you know uh, that you're uh, trying to optimize for is the total uh, number uh, like the total delay uh, for the passengers you're onboarding meaning that you know for example uh, if uh, you know if an open street map tells you that you could uh, deliver that person in in five minutes uh, if you deliver that person in seven minutes then it's it's a two minute delay and your goal is to of course optimize the, the total amount of delays to minimize it and have uh, you know satisfied uh, basically client base how have you created a data set to use to train this these models is it all synthetic or simulated data or is there uh, some set of data that you're using to kind of bootstrap this process? So uh, initially, we started by uh, working with uh, you know uh, New York City and Manhattan because there is significant amount of data which is available through the New York Taxi and Limousine uh, Commission. So uh, that makes it you know interesting to to start with. But uh, the way the OR approach is effectively to use OpenStreetMap to extract as much data as possible to model the environment of the city we're looking at, and OpenStreetMap has also you know many cities available. So actually, I believe, the, the tool that Uber used when they started uh, their operations. But uh, when it comes to this problem, it's actually possible uh, to train from zero data. So it's very similar in principle to what uh, DeepMind did with Alpha Zero. Uh, zero means that there is zero data. What you're setting up is basically a full uh, simulated environment of, uh, you know, uh, of the city. And uh, you can learn by doing so the system will initially make random uh, decisions and then uh, progressively realize what is good and what is less good and learn from there so uh, this is also what is interesting about this problem and also why uh, you know a relatively small scale startup like uh, instadeep today can tackle those problems is because you know uh, have not having necessarily a lot of data is not a hurdle provided you can build a realistic environment. So the data component is really about, uh, you know, affecting your ability to build a realistic environment of the city. But if you find a way to do that, uh, technically speaking, you actually do not need uh, data. You've got this environment 
beyond the OpenStreetMaps uh, data, what's the kind of shape of this environment? Did you build kind of is it feel like a custom simulator or is it um, is it just the data, you know, and not a lot of kind of external kind of tooling or did you use an open source simulation platform that you plug the data into? What, what does all, it all look like? So actually, we built uh, our own, uh, our own basically uh, simulation engine for for this problem, and uh, including uh, visualization. We actually also have visualization uh, teams at InstaDeep. So effectively, OpenStreetMap is used to provide us with you know uh, metrics about you know how much uh, time, for example, it takes from going to point A to point B in a city, and uh, basically different different uh, in like intermediate points. For example, like a given ride could have like uh, 50 intermediate points or 30 intermediate points, you know, that kind of uh, order uh, of range. But once you have that, effectively, everything else runs on our platform. So we've built, uh, you know, our own platform to tackle uh, these type of problems. And uh, this is, you know, one of the things that uh, makes it exciting for us. Like, you know, it's a, it's something that we have full control on. So uh, we use basically, you know, Kubernetes and TensorFlow and train on NVIDIA uh, DGX1, so NVIDIA supercomputers, to uh, be able to extract results and continue to learn. And what is also interesting about uh, this type of, uh, you know, uh, solution is that uh, when they are deployed in the real world, you have an ability to, you know, keep learning from the results you're getting as well. You're using uh, DGX1s. Those aren't cheap. Does your end user need to have the DGX1 to continue to fine-tune a a model? Uh, Or is that, you know, what you've got to build up these models and then you can push the models out uh, for inference? So these are, yeah, it's exactly like you said. We uh, basically use those for training, but once a model is trained, it would simply be, uh, you know, about uh, inference and customer does not necessarily have to have, uh, you know, heavy weaponry as such. (laughs) Exactly, exactly. So that kind of leads me to the question about generalization and transfer learning in a sense. Um, You know, for example... If you train a model on or when you train the model on New York City, can you apply that model to uh, San Francisco? If you do need to uh, then look at San Francisco, do you have to start from scratch or can you do kind of a traditional transfer learning type of fine tuning? Does that is there an analogy of, of that kind of fine tuning and reinforcement learning? How does that all work? Absolutely, absolutely. Actually, uh, you know, transfer learning works to up to an extent. So you are much better indeed uh, using a trained model, even though it's a different city, uh, to uh, to get started in another, even though you're going to still require, you know, significant training dependent on how similar the topology of the cities is. You know, if the topology of the city has really nothing to do, uh, then of course, uh, that's an issue. If, for example, to coming back to Manhattan, if you have another city, uh, 
which has a relatively speaking rectangular shape for its uh, streets and avenues, uh, then obviously, uh, you know, what you have learned in uh, Manhattan would be to a certain extent applicable. So we've seen actually this type of uh, transfer learning happening in uh, in different problems. I mean, this is uh, the, the ride sharing problem. Uh, when it comes to, for example, packing bins, it's the same. Uh, if you are packing bins in a certain configuration, let's say for 30 items, what you learn can be uh, directly uh, redeployed to larger dimensions, like uh, 200 items and the like, uh, sometimes even without retraining. So, you know, you nailed it on. Uh, it's actually, you know, there is the equivalent of uh, transfer learning in, in these type of problems as well. Yeah, I guess you know, when we think about transfer learning applied to computer vision, right, you're uh, often training models on ImageNet and you're, uh, the, you're trying to teach the lower layers of the model kind of primitives like textures and edges and things like that. Is that a very problem-specific thing or are there, you know, some equivalent of edges at the, you know, just broad logistics level such that you would get some benefit, some transfer benefit going, taking a model from bin packing to a ride sharing, for example? So uh, there, there wouldn't be uh, lots of, uh, you know, uh, intersection between, let's say, taking a bin packing uh, model to ride sharing, but there would be uh, between different bin packing problems or different uh, ride sharing uh, problems. So typically, like to take the bin packing example, for example, uh, like if you're dealing with a problem that has, you know, uh, like multiple hundreds of items, this is actually uh, a large combinatorially exploding problem. However, if you are already having a good performance with a smaller set of, uh, you know, uh, items, uh, actually this uh, set could be as small as 10 items then indeed the system has figured out something about how do I fit uh, packages together that can be redeployed on larger models. So it's, it's, a very, it's a very interesting topic, but like at InstaDeep, we've been able to uh, take models that have been trained on, let's say, 10 items and uh, deploy them uh, with almost no changes at all to larger sets of problems like 50 and 100 items and still uh, getting uh, you know a type of performance which is uh, better than other uh, OR type uh, algorithms so indeed you know there is transferability but i would say it's transferability among uh, certain domains uh, so uh, you know it's it's things that still have some level of similarity uh, between them and within, for example, the domain of bin packing, are there dependencies on kind of the you, – you, you clearly mentioned the number of items, but like the shape of the items or the shape of the containers, the bins – Yes, of course. Yes, of course. If you have, you know, shapes that are uh, quite similar, you would you would get uh, strong transfer learning uh, features. For example, like if if it's the same shape for the the general uh, volume, let's say it's a container, and you learn to solve uh, the problem for ten items, and you're just adding up more items that are relatively similar to the items you already have. In certain cases, you would have very little uh, extra training, meaning that uh, starting with the the training 
chain model on, on smaller items would still deliver to you uh, an acceptable performance. And this is actually surprising. We were, we, when we started working on this uh, with my team, uh, we were not necessarily expecting this type of properties and yet we, we got there. And these are some of the results we published in our, in a, in an article at uh, the latest, uh, the last NeRips, uh, which is, uh, which is called Rank Rewards. We found ways to basically uh, go beyond what had been done for Alpha Zero and the game of chess and go to apply this to real uh, to real concrete problems. And yes, we were surprised that you know the level of transfer uh, you know uh, transferability from one problem to another was actually pretty high. Uh, what can you say about the the data efficiency or sample efficiency rather of um, RL for this particular type of problem? Do you uh, you know, how much, how many, uh, how, how, I don't know what the, if we want to talk about in terms of time or compute cycles or, uh, you know, runs or batches, uh, but how complex is, you know, getting to a model that, you know, starts to perform well, uh, compared to some of the other things that we might apply RL to? So, I mean, there is definitely uh, some complexity, but uh, with, uh, you know, modern equipment, you could get to results in a matter of like something like 24 hours or, you know, a couple of days. We're not talking about like super, super long jobs, but it's not a couple of hours either. So to give you concrete examples on our NVIDIA DGX1, we would typically train a model uh, overnight and be uh, be satisfied with the results. So it's not something insurmountable, which means that you know if you're not Google or if you're not like a very large player, you would not be able uh, to uh, to compete. Obviously, it, it's it's strongly dependent on the quality of your algorithm. Um, we spend a lot of time, for example, trying to find ways to uh, re-inject uh, the concept of competitiveness, even though uh, these are like one-player games. You're just trying to solve a problem. Uh, you know, uh, one of the secret, the secret sauce, for example, in uh, in Alpha Zero, is that you are playing against yourself, and so you're constantly, uh, you know, it's a two-player game where you're constantly challenging yourself. So when you're really bad, like you start, you start with random parameters. It doesn't matter because the other person in front of you, which is, uh, you know, a replica of yourself, is equally bad. What matters is to get slightly better, and it's the same thing when you get to like superhuman performance. You can still improve because what matters, in a sense, is the relative relative improvement than the absolute improvement. So we found ways to re-inject this type of principles of, you know, adversarial uh, competitiveness into this problem. And you can get good results, as I said, in, you know, a recent, a decent amount of time. Interesting. Is that part of the work that you published at the recent NERPS? Yes, absolutely. So uh, we have a paper called Rank Rewards, which was accepted at the DeepRL workshop at uh, the recent uh, NERPS, and uh, it, it describes exactly the type of uh, results and breakthroughs we, uh, I'm describing. Yeah. We talked about how historically these types of OR problems are solved using heuristic methods. One of the trends that I see in deep learning is kind of there's this pendulum where we we kind of started at these very model-based approaches to things and we swung to like pure statistical uh, and learned approaches. And now there's a lot of effort happening to try to fuse model-based and heuristics-based approaches with statistical approaches. Is that something that you've looked at for the, these types of problems? 
Yes, absolutely. The, the general idea that you're going to inject learnability into a process is a, a very powerful one. But yes, in, in some cases, it actually uh, can be pretty efficient to take an existing heuristic, but add learnability into the mix. And it comes to a very natural idea. You know, if you are a large company, for example, you, you, know, you have lots of like you have a fleet of trucks, you have lots of packages to deliver tomorrow. And some of these companies would do overnight runs, take the result and use it uh, to, you know, uh, process their operations for the day. And the next day they're doing the same. Uh, it's kind of a waste uh, uh, not to learn anything new. So adding learnability into the mix and especially constant learnability as as, as you get, you know, uh, more experience uh, through your operations is, is a natural idea. So there are two schools. Uh, well, one which is indeed saying uh, you could, uh, you know, you could use existing heuristics and build learning on top which, you know, uh, which makes sense. But increasingly, and especially with, uh, you know, uh, compute, uh, compute uh, power for uh, machine learning, doubling every three months uh, and a half or so, and this is a study by OpenAI, in certain cases, it becomes possible to learn from first principles, meaning that you do not necessarily need the heuristics. So uh, the honest answer is, is very problem dependent. Some problems is, are still too big to be uh, learned completely uh, end-to-end, but some of them can be uh, actually solved using this type of techniques. So it sounds like your general perspective is that where you can use a pure learning-based solution, that's preferable? Yes, absolutely, because uh, that removes uh, significant sources of bias and, uh, you know, by learning through first principles and direct experience, uh, you can get a lot done. Uh, there is an additional uh, advantage. As you know, sometimes a heuristics-based model would require specific constraints to be in place and might not tolerate certain number of constraints. Uh, when you're taking like a pure uh, learning approach from first principles, you can actually uh, set all the constraints, all the real-world constraints that you care about. And this is also an advantage, means like if the these are the real world constraints. And actually, there are people in the real world running uh, those operations with those constraints. You know, solutions exist. So as a consequence, a, mod a model learning end-to-end -end could get to that point as well. Mm. Uh, you mentioned that one of the considerations is uh, the some inherent bias in the heuristics-based models. You know, this might come from constraints or, or other factors uh, and that a learning-based approach overcomes those. Have you seen the flip side as well, where uh, the learning, you, you've seen bias introduced by the learning-based uh, approach that disadvantages it relative to uh, what a, an organization might want to do? So, I mean, in, in general, like if the problem is, is well formulated and, you know, uh, the system will learn to, to crack that problem. So, uh, so yes, in cases where you see the, the system not doing what you expect, it really comes down to there might have been some constraints that you forgot to include into the mix. But if you really, uh, you know, give to the system uh, all the constraints that he should care about, uh, you know, the, the system ultimately uh, will explore and learn to, to crack that problem with the tools you have. So it's, it's more a, a question of defining the right set of objectives and what's the space of, uh, you know, possible behavior. If you do this well, there is no reason why uh, a system which has sufficient capacity would introduce uh, significant uh, biases. 
Uh, just to give you an example, in the game of chess as well, uh, you know, there have been some recent uh, publications. I believe the, the title of the book is Game Changer, where, you know, uh, chess experts have looked at the behavior of AlphaZero. And, uh, you know, some of them said, you know, this is very interesting because, uh, you know, we believe this is very close to the truth, meaning that the system has explored so many configurations and developed an intuition which is really based on facts uh, that, you know, uh, some people would consider this, uh, you know, including uh, actually Kasparov uh, as, you know, the best manifestation of truth in chess uh, that is possible to achieve. I'm also wondering about, I imagine when you're talking to enterprises that are considering uh, these types of approaches, there are concerns like explainability and uh, even robustness. Uh, you know, when you've got a set of rules, the actions that those rules tell you to take are relatively predictable, whereas uh, with a deep learning solution, I'm imagining, you know, there can be instabilities or your decision boundaries are very complex and you can have the system recommend actions that are, you know, maybe, you know, not actions that you would want to take in the real world. Are these behaviors that you see uh, coming out of systems like these? I mean, it's a fair point. I mean, explainability will always be, uh, you know, a concern at some level uh, when using deep learning. And even though there is uh, promising research uh, going on in terms of like getting better ways to understand what the system is doing and how to how it can explain to humans what it is doing. But typically, we don't operate into uh, with customers for whom uh, explainability would be uh, extremely strong. So coming back to the examples we discussed, whether it's uh, ride sharing or bin packing, ultimately the customer will care about, you know, in the case of bin packing, how many containers he's using, provided all the constraints about how to pack have been respected. Uh, same thing with ride sharing. Uh, you know, the client is going to care about, you know, what's the, you know, average, for example, uh, number of number of miles driven to deliver uh, one customer and the number of customers delivered. Uh, in these cases, it's okay if a few decisions are suboptimal, provided the total, uh, you know, the average decision is is better. So, in a sense, you're not getting extremely penalized uh, for uh, taking a decision which locally would look suboptimal. So that is typically, you know, the kind of, uh, you know, customers we engage in on at, at Instadeep for, for logistics. But, I mean, to your point, absolutely. I mean, if you have certain situations uh, for which where the negative impact of a bad decision can be massive, I don't know, for example, you know, like in, you know, drug manufacturing or things like that, obviously explainability could be uh, of, of interest. But we haven't seen this, uh, you know, with the type of problems we work on. Because it's really about logistics and it's about optimizing well-known constraints. And, you know, there's not something which, you know, like if you deliver, for example, a person and it has taken too long for that particular uh, person, uh, you know, the, it is it is a concern. It can be improved, but it's not a massive concern that it would stop all your operation. True. It wouldn't stop all your op operations, but as organizations mature in their use of uh, these types of technologies, they may want to, you know, their perception of what's the right reward function uh, evolves and matures. And at some point, you know, maybe they wouldn't want, uh, you know, a customer to randomly sit in the car and be driven across town only to be driven back because that's what the machine said. Do you have a path to 
addressing that in this kind of approach or are they totally antithetical to one another? You, you can, you can, uh, you know, uh, control this type of like spurious behavior. Uh, for example, like typically, like in the example you take, if, if somebody, if, if a car would take someone and really drive around town in crazy ways before uh, delivering that person, uh, you could actually put a very significant constraint on, on, on like in a penalty, if you want on, on the outcome. So uh, instead of having just, for example, like the total delay that uh, this person experienced, you could say that, you know, beyond a certain point, which is uh, statistically driven and you can collect the statistics for a given city. Hey, if you go beyond that, there's really a significant problem. And as a consequence, let's say, you know, the penalty uh, on the reward system would be very high. So that's one of the ways you can you can actually remove uh, spurious cases uh, from your system. And when you're engaging with someone around these types of problems, do you find that there is very unique and specific problem definition that needs to happen and kind of building out these uh, reward functions and penalties and things like that? Or, um, you know, do most people just want a bin packing solution that for which you've already really defined the problem? So typically when we work with uh, large uh, corporates, uh, those companies have already uh, processes in place, including, uh, you know, on, on, and they have a good sense of what type of constraints uh, they, they are experiencing. So one of the cool things at InstaDeep is that we will adapt to their, to their problem. Uh, our process is pretty general. So we basically put ourselves in the customer's shoes. So we'll take the problem, we'll like look at it the way they look at it. They tell us the constraints they have. And yes, those constraints could change from one customer to another because maybe they're not doing exactly the same type of operations or maybe because they have different priorities and preferences. So we'll incorporate their constraints and work from there. And as I said, you know, what's pretty cool in, in the way we look at things and these general systems is that they can actually uh, learn from, you know, the constraints you give them. So you're not uh, a prisoner of given uh, constraints. So yeah. uh, it's not a problem in practice to be, uh, to be looking at uh, different customers and different constraints because the principles that are behind it, and this is the thing which I'm most excited about, are very general. So uh, no matter how you look, you know, what are your constraints, and some of those could be uh, real physical constraints and others could be uh, preferences, uh, there is always a way to solve your problem, problem provided that it is actually a real world problem that has solutions and is typically the case and you want to improve uh, your solutions. And so we spent most of the time talking about reinforcement learning. Are there other approaches that you use for these types of problems or is that the uh, primary area you're working with? So, I mean, we also use like, you know, classical algorithms, but these are more for, for benchmarking. Uh, you know, at InstaDeep, we're among the people who believe that, you know, uh, those type of smart systems are, are there to stay. But when we say uh, reinforcement learning, just to be uh, very clear, and, and I know the audience is uh, pretty technical, uh, what we believe the most at in, 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 in InstaDeep is what we believe in the most is uh, the concept of having, uh, you know, a neural net 
that's going to work with uh, planning type algorithms. For if you look at a technology such as uh, Monte Carlo Research, uh, it is uh, you know in the secret source of you know what makes, for example, Alpha Zero uh, so good. So uh, you know I have a great analogy for this. It's it's this idea, and I presented this at GTC, which is this idea of thinking uh, thinking fast and thinking slow. So this the same uh, title as uh, Daniel Kahneman's book, The Nobel Prize, is this idea that with planning, uh, you know, basically Monte Carlo research into uh, this type of algorithms, you're going to be able to uh, think slow, which means you're going to consider many paths and incorporate those paths of planning into your decision. And the thinking fast part is the neural net. So to be very clear, it's not just uh, RL in the sense, hey, I'm experiencing a reward and I'm kind of looking blindly for that reward. I'm actually trying to find, uh, you know, interesting paths so another way to look at it, which is an analogy I really like, is, you know, in DeepRL, you're like uh, in the dark in a room and you're trying to find the switch. And that is the sparse reward, for example, that you're looking at. But you're like kind of like looking blindly and trying to find the switch. Uh, you know, if you add planning uh, MCTS, style, MCTS type approaches, it's like you have a searchlight. It's not a perfect searchlight, so it only covers a little bit of area. But at least you're not completely blind and this will help you be uh, more efficient, much faster. So these are the two mm-hmm. tech uh, that that are used and uh, it, it makes a lot of sense and in, in a funny way it's uh, it's actually interesting that uh, Daniel Kahneman's book by the way which is a great book uh, talks about it from the angle of uh, you know human neuroscience and uh, hum- human you know behavioral uh, patterns but there are some equivalents in the machine learning and AI world uh, so let me ask you this we've spent quite a bit of time talking about uh, this topic and and what you presented at GTC were there what were the key takeaways that you were uh, hoping to leave your audience there with so uh, yeah the for me the, the key takeaway is that you know machine learning systems uh, are progressively you know gonna have an impact when it comes to making decisions in the real world and, uh, you know, while we have mostly seen, uh, you know, those in the context of games and those games have, you know, started like very simple games, Atari style, and now it's more like StarCraft complex games. I think we are about to see those really spread out and make an impact in the real world. And this is due to, you know, it's like a few, a few key properties of these systems. First, these systems can learn end to end. So you can, you know, in certain cases go from pixels to behavior or from raw data to behavior, things like that. But these systems get better with scale. And we have reached a point in terms of maturity of, you know, hardware and also like, you know, algorithms uh, that makes, uh, you know, uh, you know, like deploying these systems at scale a real possibility. So uh, I would, you know, uh, to the users, of, you know, the listeners of the program, I would say that, you know, expect a lot of action on these in the real world and not in games anymore. And uh, to a certain extent, if you are, you know, having a decision-making system uh, that uses uh, compute and doesn't have learnability deeply embedded in in it, uh, that means that probably you will have to change, you know, the way you are operating to include, you know, uh, AI-first approaches and, you know, learnability. And that means that you know lots lots of industries and in particular logistics last mile delivery are going to be deeply impacted by those
Awesome. Well, Kareem, thank you so much for taking the time to chat with us. This is really interesting stuff. Thanks a lot. It was a pleasure. And, uh, you know, thanks a lot for having me. All right, everyone, that's our show for today. To learn more about today's guest or the topics mentioned in this interview, visit twimmelai.com. Of course, if you like what you hear on the podcast, please subscribe, rate, and review the show on your favorite podcatcher. Thanks so much for listening and catch you next time.